0: Welcome to Game Gamers Anonymous, episode 137. If you like the castles of Burgundy, try these other games. We'd like to thank our Patreon backer, Timothy, for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron. But with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris.
1: And this is Anthony.
0: And this is the episode. Yeah! We did it! <laughs> Good job, everybody!
1: We, we sat down and <laughs> turned on our microphones.
0: Thanks, everybody! It's done! Woo! Good job!
1: <laughs> Peace out, guys. Play some board games. Woo!
0: Good night. Oh, no. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> nope, we actually do have a full episode for you, especially a really interesting feature. We always do, if you like, try these other games. But we haven't talked about The Castles of Burgundy, Felds, of all of his classic games. It's kind of the game that no matter where you are in the board gaming industry, you know of this game. And even if you're not a fan of his other games, typically The Castles of Burgundy is something that everyone respects and definitely wants to get to the table.
1: Yeah, you know it's good because it has a card game version and soon a dice game version. And it's already a dice game. So, (laughs) that says something.
0: It does. It really does. And it's an outstanding game. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's talk about what's going on with the podcast, Anthony. Anything new coming up here?
1: Yeah, so... Like we said, Patreons chugging along. We've got Timothy joined us this week. If you haven't yet, check it out. It's patreon.com slash BGA. And back at a dollar, you get in our Slack group. You can join the conversation. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast. We're going to hop in there and tell you guys every week, you know, hopefully what we're talking about, what we're playing, ask you for suggestions and what to talk about. We'll put together lists like today. If you like Castles of Burgundy. And frequently we'll ask for input on that because it certainly helps us to, to make sure we cover all our bases. Mm-hmm. So definitely check that out. We really appreciate everybody who's backed and everybody who's kind of hopped on there and give us, a, you know, even verbal support. So make sure you check that out.
0: Yeah, it's a really fun place to be. We're always there and connected to you. So you want to jump in there, ask questions about games or just hang out and talk. It's there all the time.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the other big thing this week is we have our next contest up and online. Wow. This is our fix your game contest. Quote, fix my game. (laughs) We're working with Geeks First. They're sponsoring the contest for us this month. And the basic idea is let us know which game you have that is a complete mess because you have tons of expansions. The boxes don't fit together. There's no real good storage solution. The big storage solution guys like Broken Token aren't making anything. Let us know what game kind of falls in that bucket. Send us in a picture on Twitter or Facebook. Use the hashtag fix my game and you will be entered into this contest. The winner's gonna take home a gift certificate from Geeks First. They make custom board game organizers that you can use however you want. They're modular. They fit in you know, a variety of different game boxes. You can check out their website. I also have a pretty cool um, review where I ran through a whole bunch of different products that they provided for us to show you what the system looks like, how it works modular, and you know the different pieces that are available. So if you have a messy game, which we all do, snap a photo and upload that and join the contest.
0: Yeah, that sounds really great because... I don't know. We have a few games, and they definitely could use a lot more love.
1: Yeah, definitely. And there are very few games that are actually covered by the big organizer companies. Mm -hmm. Those organizers are amazing, but they only apply to, like, 20 games. Sure. So if you have any of the rest of the games, like a lot of us, these organizers can be pretty good. And the last thing's last, make sure you check out Every Night is Game Night this week. We are talking with AJ Porfirio. He's the designer of Hostage Negotiator and the founder of Van Ryder Games, and we talked to him about Hostage Negotiator, which is one of my favorite solo games. It has three or four different versions of this game that have come out now. The new Kickstarter just shipped out. So uh, if you care about solo games, dice games, thematic games, it's a pretty cool conversation.
0: Hmm, Sounds good. So how about you, Anthony? Been getting anything to the table recently?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to talk about one later today that I was very excited about. And, well, I guess I'll share <laughs> what I think about it in a bit. <laughs> but, sure. But So that one will be fun. And, and then Whistle Stop. This is one that uh, I was lucky enough to snag a copy of at Gen Con. I've gotten to the table a couple times. It has played differently every single time I've played it. So I don't even feel like I can review it properly yet. But it's been very, very interesting so far. Okay. Yeah, I got some games that I've already gotten out. So
0: playing a little bit more of Magic Maze with some mixed reviews. And you could hear more of that kind of conversation on our Slack channel. Jason and I are going back and forth about that game. And I got Liz Lizbo out again. One of our friends did not enjoy the game so much. And Vita Leser himself came out and said, but why? Why, why don't you like my games? <laughs> and he used that accent in his text message. And my friend felt really bad about that and asked to bring the game out again. And still doesn't like it. <laughs> so um, because he's wrong he He doesn't like it because he's
1: wrong yeah i think so
0: (laughs) it's 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 a rough game and it's a little challenging maybe even on i would say a color palette way if you're if you tend to be a little bit colorblind because that board has a lot of blue on it my friend so yeah that's true it might throw you a little bit so once you wrap your brain around it it's as simple as can be but otherwise it's going to be a little more challenging all right, so that's what's happening with us over here. Anthony, what's uh, going on with the Facebook group?
1: What's our question of the week? All right, so last week I asked everybody what game they felt people were being too harsh on. Okay. And so I wanted some positivity. Uh, one of the responses to that question was, why don't you ask the opposite next week? And I was at first I was like, well, because people ask that question in every group all the time. Gotcha. And there are long, long threads about all the games that are overrated. But I asked it anyways because I'm magnanimous like that. Um, So I asked, what games that you consider average are you tired of hearing people heap praise on? So not necessarily what is overrated, but what do you think is just an okay game that everybody else is like losing their mind over? It happens all the time. That's that's the cult of the new. That's what happens. Uh, Larissa mentioned One Night Ultimate Werewolf. My game group loves Secret Hitler and Resistance Avalon, but we do not care for One Night Ultimate Werewolf. We tried playing through multiple times and just didn't see what the fuss was about. I do not like Secret Hitler or Resistance Avalon, but I also don't like One Night Ultimate Werewolf, so I approve of this message. So. <laughs> got a couple mentions of Cards Against Humanity, which I think we can, well, not all agree on, but I certainly agree on. Tim mentioned Pandemic Legacy. He and he he got the question, heard the tone of the question, at least. He said, don't get me wrong, I think it's well done, and the legacy aspect is cool, but in my opinion, it should be a top 200 game on BGG, not top five. So... I think it's a very reasonable take on that, not, this is the worst game ever, uh, that some people throw at it.
0: Anytime you get stuck with somebody who is not a consistent tabletop gamer, they're typically just getting a lot of those mass market or just nearly designer games. Recently, I got an elevator with somebody, and we were talking about games, and they were praising, 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 exploding
1: kittens. and. Oof.
0: I've played Exploding Kittens, and it's 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 a game. It's a game, right? We're it's a game. No, okay. it's
1: totally a game. It's got rules. It's in a box. There's cardboard.
0: <laughs> and, I mean, the company does such an outstanding job at the convention really putting on a show. So if you ever just want to see a show at a booth, like a big production, you probably saw pictures on our Facebook page of this gigantic cat where they kind of like almost do like a little mini puppet show on there phenomenal it's just it's just so humorous so inventive so great the game is so generic and i I don't have the heart to break people you know as far as like there's it's just not a great game there's other stuff there so it's good that you love it it's a great funny company kind of like cards against humanity it's all right Yeah. yeah yeah
1: there's so many games like that like i've i've been in two separate long arguments in the last two weeks about splendor okay because the new expansion came out and people, like I went to my local game store and the owner there is like, oh, you're here for the Splendor expansion. And I was like, ah, <laughs> no, I'm not a fan. He's like, you don't like Splendor? I'm like, it plays itself, man. It's it, not it a does. game. It's, <laughs> it's just an automaton that goes through and picks up chips. It's kind of uh, so we got in a nice big argument about that. I don't even hate Splendor. I'll play it, but I don't love it. Um, Codenames is another one where I'm fine with it. It's a great idea. Theory and practice it doesn't always work out. Sure. So yeah, there's plenty of games out there like that that are overhyped, not necessarily bad, but just yeah. not as good as some people, to me at least, put them up to be.
0: Yeah, I think it's just a lot of like it bottlenecks at that kind of gateway level, and then once you can get past that, your eyes kind of open up and just say, I was spending hours on that other game, and just, it just kind of blows you away that there's just better quality games for your time. For sure. Speaking
1: about better quality games,
0: let's talk about our acquisition disorders, Anthony. So what do you have up for us this week?
1: Okay, this is the new, well, it's not the new game from What's Your Game, because What's Your Game has, I think, at least two games coming out this year. This one is for next year, which means it'll probably be Essen of 2018. It's Artificial Intelligence. This is by Nuno, Bizarro, Centero, and Paulo Soledad. I can't remember exactly what they released. I believe they were behind Madeira and Panamax, maybe Nippon. But the some of the big recent releases from What's Your Game. So good, good stuff. Big, heavy euros, And this one is about artificial intelligence. And I think it takes place in the year 2090 or 2100. The whole idea is a singularity has happened. Artificial intelligence is running the economy. And there are a select number of people behind the artificial intelligence, the investors kind of pulling the strings and trying to make money off of all of it. So it is an economic sci-fi game with stocks and hand management. And that's about all we know about it. But because of the pedigree of the designers and the publisher, I have a feeling it's going to be really cool. And this theme in general has been really hot lately in movies. It's been hot in TV shows. we got a new Blade Runner. We've got... Lots of books coming out talking about AI and biotech. It's just, this is the world we live in. It's kind of interesting to think about and talk about. And I, I really like the idea of games tackling that too. So I very much look forward to this one.
0: Nice. Yeah, I like this theme a lot. So I'm really glad that this is kind of like the first foray into kind of a whole different genre that we really typically haven't seen very much of.
1: Yeah, like I don't know. You can't even tell if it's like going to be post-apocalyptic or anything. It's just going to be looking at this idea of a singularity yeah. within a game. So that'll be cool.
0: Very, very smart. So speaking about Splendor, I actually have a little love from the designer here, Marc Andre, a game called Majesty for the Realm. This is going to be a release at Essen. Uh, Hans and Gluck is going to be releasing this game. And basically what we're looking at here is probably maybe just ever so slightly a little bit heavier than Splendor. But basically what you're getting is a tableau of cards that are going to be lined up in a row and each of the cards are going to be a different medieval building that are going to require different residents or workers for that building. So there is a tableau building set collection that goes on and then there's a market in the middle of the board in which these different characters are available for purchase. So you're basically going to pick a card according to that row But just like every other game, in order to get a a card down the row, you're going to have to pay a meeple and put that on each card in order to pick something later in the row. So think small world, we have to play a coin to pick the later races. Once you take that card, you place it in your tableau and it activates that building. Some of the buildings are victory points, some are going to give you money, some are going to be able to allow you the opportunity to actually attack other players' tableaus and kill their people off. Uh, there's also witches in the game. And if you play one of those witches, you can actually resurrect one of your characters that's been killed to put it back into your tableau. And then at the end of the game, you're looking at majorities. So whoever has majorities for those different areas scores those victory points. And then some of those cards in that row also you score victory points depending on how many sets you are able to score. So it looks just ever so slightly heavier than Splendor some really outstanding artwork here and a nice next step for our uh, Fair Splendor creator.
1: Yeah, this looks great. Yeah, right. And like actual interactivity too. That's what's missing from Splendor because it sure. plays itself. I know. <laughs> Sorry. I know a lot of people love it, but come on, guys. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. The, it, this looks really good and the artwork is pretty great. Yes, absolutely.
0: All right, so that's everything for Acquisition Disorders. Now on to our At the Table with BGA. So, Anthony, what has been hitting your table this week? I know it's not Splendor, so what do you got for us?
1: Is this <laughs> Splendor? Because that would be weird. <laughs> I know. I'm making it sound like I hate Splendor. I don't actually hate Splendor. I just, I've just i been like up in arms because people have been like so aggressively pushing it at me lately. I'm like, no, I don't love it. Leave me alone.
0: <laughs> so. I get that, too, because I never loved the game. I thought it was okay. But everyone loves it so much. I bought the app. I paid real money to buy the app. Played it on there. Thought I was going to love it. Felt like you said. Like it plays itself. And was just like, I don't. I just don't know. why I don't get it. It just doesn't. It just doesn't click with me. So good for you if it does. Let me suggest Century Spice Road. Because I think it's a better game. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So go ahead.
1: Onward. Yes. That's not the game we're reviewing today. Nope. Um. We reviewed that like two years ago. So <laughs> we're talking about Attack on Titan: The Last Stand. This is a game from Cryptozoic that came out at Gen Con this year. If you've seen it at all, you've know you've seen it. It has a giant cardboard standee of the Titan from Attack on Titan, which is an anime uh, released in Japan, very very popular in Japan. I think there is a second season of the anime now. There's a manga that preceded that. Um, there's a few video games based on this as well. It's a big franchise over there. It's been in the West a little bit as well. Maybe you've seen it on Netflix. It's been around. So this is the board game based on that. And the reason that I was so interested in it is because of the pedigree of the design team here. It's not just some game thrown together by Cryptozoic. It is an Antoine Bauza game with Ludovic Moblanc. So this is the design team uh, behind Dice Town. It is the, the it's Antoine Bauza. I mean, it's one of the big names in, in board game design. So we have a game that it's not just your typical Cerberus engine. And they did a Cerberus engine for the, Titan, the Attack on Titan. So they they got that out of the way. And then they're like, this is our actual board game. And so I was very excited about this because it had the opportunity to be something more interesting, more in-depth, more engaging. So let me just describe the rules real quick for you. Uh, you have one player plays the Titan and then some number of players play The heroes, so it's one versus all. The the Titan has their own action cards. On their turn, they're going to pick two of those action cards. One goes face up, one goes face down. Then the heroes are going to roll their dice. You have dice that all these different faces on them. Um, There's attack, there's movement. There are two different symbols that allow you to resolve different things that the Titan is doing to kind of negate the actions that they're taking. Um, And then there's these Titan faces and the Titan faces. Basically, when you roll those, that's action points for the Titan to do things against you. So it's a bit of a push your luck game, because when you roll your dice, you can keep rolling until you get what you want. But every time a die comes up with a Titan face on it, it goes to the Titan and they get to use that and spend it to activate the actions on their action cards. So you have to be careful because you don't want to let them do that. (laughs) Also, on these action cards, you have specific icons that need to be matched so that sometimes it'll be the group needs to come up with a certain number of action dice. Sometimes it's individual players need to have certain action dice. And so you know that on the one card, you don't know it on the hidden card. So you're kind of mitigating that as you play. You, you, you wanna make sure you have enough of these, but you also wanna make sure you have enough dice left over to do damage to the Titan. So you're kind of balancing those two out. So once that's done, the Titan's gonna use their symbols and then give the dice back to the player so they can reroll them and then use them again. And then everybody resolves action cards for the for the heroes Those action cards, you know, the the actions that they take on their dice are going to be things like moving. So there's different platforms that are stuck into the sides of the Titan and they move up these different platforms. They have their own action card that has a combination of positions. So if you get people in those different positions, you can perform special abilities that can heal or resurrect or attack in certain ways and do damage to the Titan. The whole thing plays out kind of a back and forth between the two sides. And it's very asymmetrical between the two sides. Titan gets to do a lot more different things than maybe the heroes do. But the heroes have the tower. They have the cannons they can work with. They can climb up the Titan and attack him. Lots and lots of different ways to to do damage here. So how does the game actually play out? It sounds really cool. I read the rule book and I was immediately like, wow, this is going to be great. You set it up, you have this big like 14 inch Titan sitting on a table. You build this tower, you put these plastic cannons on it. You've got your little standees. They're jumping all over the place. It looks awesome. And I remember when I saw it at Gen Con a year ago, uh, I think they were just demoing it. Maybe uh, Bowser was there, I think, showing people the game. And I was like, wow, I got to play this game now that I've played the game. However, I have some reservations. To start with, it seems fairly imbalanced. I don't know how the Titan wins this game. Now, I mean, I do know because it is a press-your-luck game and someone could press their luck too far, give the Titan a whole bunch of different dice. Each of these heroes only has three health points, so if if the Titan's able to knock three health points off of one hero, they lose. The only way the heroes win is to defeat the Titan, but that's not actually that hard to do because you would rack up enough damage across three or four heroes, you knock them out pretty fast. On the flip side, it's fairly hard for the Titan to actually knock out a single hero unless the heroes make poor decisions. That's frustrating. If you play the Titan, I I don't know what the win percentages are. I haven't played the game that many times, but the few times I have played it, it was fairly lopsided. Uh, The game, the flow of the game is fun. The first round or two, everybody's having a lot of good fun, but eventually whoever's playing the Titan is like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of filling in it's almost like a co-op at that point uh, with a low loss rate. I really, really want to like this game. And I feel like it, feel, it feels like there should be more strategy to it. But in the end, it's really just a press-your-luck dice game in which it's hard to press-your-luck too hard because if you just play conservatively, you're going to get enough of the dice faces that you need to eventually knock out the Titan and do what you need to do. It's a bit of a letdown, you know, and, and it's not that there's not enough pieces here. It's not that the theme isn't well integrated because it is very well integrated. It's not that the artwork or the components are bad, as you might expect from a Cryptozoic game. They're actually very good. The rules are fine. The overall gameplay experience is fine. It's just the way it ends up playing out is if you're the Titan, good luck. If you're the rest of the heroes, your actions, your moves, your rounds are not that interesting because you only have a couple of things you can really do. And... All that hopping around, you're not going to do very much of it. Um, maybe get a couple good combos off and that's it. So I don't know. I, I've played this game more often than I typically do a game that I'm trying to review just because I wanted to make sure. Like, do I really like not like this? Because I, I enjoy the theme. I enjoy everything about the game. I like the designers and it's just not clicking for me. So despite how excited I was and despite how much fun it was setting this up and playing it for the first couple times, I have to give it a dodge. Wow. And, and that makes me sad because I really, really wanted to like this.
0: Oh, that's too bad.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's it feels like it should have everything it needs to be good, and it's just. And I'm not. I hate saying a game's imbalanced because I didn't design it and I didn't test it, but. And it's not even that it's imbalanced. It's just the combination of things needed for one side to defeat the other. Kind of once you unlock that as the heroes you're like well why would we do that sure. <laughs> why would we push our like we'll just be conservative this turn don't do anything this turn but he also can't do anything and we all just kind of sit here and and that actually makes the game less fun so you either press your luck and it's more exciting or you don't and you win
0: it seems like if it was going to be truly thematic for the show you really would have to be forced to press your luck all the time because that's very much how the show goes
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's trying to do. And the way it sets that up is, you know, if you don't get these symbols, maybe you get hurt and you lose a health or this happens or that he eats, you know, the Titans can eat uh, citizens. If they eat all the citizens, they win. I think there's 12 of them. If they knock all the cannons out, they win. But because there's all these different pieces, there's 12 citizens and I think six or seven cannons and then the three health on each of the heroes, you can sacrifice a lot of that. And dealing damage to the Titan is not that hard to do. So you might get to the point where you only have two or three citizens left, one or two cannons left, but you still win because you're just trying to chip away at the Titan. And that's what's happened in all these games. I almost feel like this game would have been better as a co-op because then you could have scaled it in a certain way and had like less citizens, fewer cannons, found a way to like ramp up the difficulty. But because a player is playing the Titan, it just doesn't end up working.
0: So is it possible that whoever playtested the game they didn't think that people would kind of figure the game out
1: yeah i don't know it's hard to put put myself in their mindset and it might be that they wanted the heroes to win most of the time you know I, i there's definitely some one versus many games where the many come out on top more often than not i think in this case because it's not particularly exciting for the many sure like the way you go about doing that you have to play very conservatively and you know, manage your dice and you don't get a ton of decisions to make on your turns. It's just it's not very much fun in that way. And if you play it more aggressively and more fun, like if you're being doing the press your luck, then it's very swingy. Like the one game we had one guy who was just like rolling, 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 and he ended up giving all his dice to the Titan. I don't know what he was doing, but (laughs) then the Titan used his special powers twice and just killed one of the heroes. So that can happen. But it shouldn't, because those are poor decisions on the planet. Sure. As a hero, don't do that. Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't quite gel.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of Samurai Spirit a little bit, where you can just sacrifice certain elements that you're supposed to be protecting, but still come out and win the game. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. All right, well, I played a game, and it's quite a epic little game. A tiny, epic quest. Now... Honestly, I've played all of the Tiny Epic series except for the Western. The Western is the one Tiny Epic that I've not played yet. So I was actually really excited to actually get Tiny Epic Quest to the table because up to this point, while I did kind of like Galaxies, you know, Defenders were so-so and it, it had such a kind of... War- I've had a kind of warm relationship with it. It never really pushed me over the le- edge as far as loving the game. Like I said, without the exception of Westerns, which I haven't played yet. But Tiny Epic Quest seems oddly familiar to, I don't know, a legally distinct IP that you may like a lot. And basically what you're doing is you are playing on a modular board. And the victory condition, as all good kind of euro S games, is, is victory points. Now, in particular, you can get these from a number of different areas. But there are three tracks in the game. One track is knocking goblins out, completing quests, or your magical abilities that you'll be able to ramp up in the game. Now, each of these tracks starts at a minus, so like any good Agricola player knows, you have to do a little bit of everything, at least to start so you're not taking negative victory points. But as you score multiples of either the goblins, the spells, or the quests you'll score multiples of the victory points. So you may want to kind of pick one or two of these lanes to really kind of stick in so you can score a multitude of points because you're not going to be able to get all three of those tracks down as far as possible because the game is pretty quick. You're talking pretty much about five rounds here. So focus, and then you're, you're going to do pretty good on this game. Now, the game itself, as far as moving around the modular board, is interesting because it's a very different mechanic that we usually don't see in games. What you're going to be doing if it's you're the first player, is you're going to be picking a card that's going to allow you a certain direction of movement. So a horse is going to let you move horizontal, by ship is going to let you move around the coast of this modular map, by raft is going to let you move vertical, by griffin is going to let you move diagonal, and then by foot it's going to allow you to move one in any direction. So once that player picks that card, it goes around the table and everyone takes that movement action. And then eventually all the players will pick a movement and then there probably will be at that point movement that wasn't taken. So you almost have to plan out a little bit like I think, you know, Anthony really wants moved diagonal this turn. So he's definitely going to take the griffin. So I'm okay with doing the raft at this point and then waiting for another opportunity to move another one of my meeples in that direction. Now you get three meeples or item meeples in this game and that's a really big part of this game because not only are you gonna have your classic meeples wandering around this board to accomplish quests, but they're going to be able to pick up special tools and weapons as the game goes on, especially if they're able to complete quests in the temples. Now each of these little module square boards are going to have four different areas to visit. Now, the quest areas are obviously the most popular because they're going to give you the most items. And the quests obviously score you victory points at the end of the game, so that's always good too. Now, you're also going to have your own player board. Now, the player board is going to track how much energy you have, how much life you had, and you'll be able to bulk that up as time goes on by knocking around goblins and picking up special abilities. But you'll also be able to pick up a number of different items and weapons in the game too. So as you go through these different temples you'll be able to pick up a sword, a shield, and even a staff. Now each of these weapons allow you to do something different basically to defend yourself from goblins, to pick up energy, and to kind of like help you in your questing. So once that day phase is done that you've moved everything around and You've been able to accomplish all the quests that you were able to accomplish, the night phase happens. And now at this point, it's a press-your-luck game where you're rolling dice in order to get the most beneficial opportunity to move your meeples or do actions at those locations that they were able to attend during the daytime hours. So when you roll the dice you could get a goblin attack which is gonna do damage against you and that's really the press your luck situation where you could actually get knocked out in this game so don't do that don't get yourself killed because then you have to start from scratch and that's not really helpful you can also pick up power you could pick up magical abilities and you'll be able to pick up icons that'll actually move you down these two different possible temple tracks as well as knocking the goblin around for victory points So basically, the night action is that press your luck to see if you can get to the final spot. And in addition to all of that kind of fun stuff, there is also a magic track that you'll have an opportunity to gear up and go down and score additional victory points on that final track. But what's challenging with that magical track is the further it goes down to give you an opportunity to move your token down that way to score points, it's also going to allow you to take more damage if an attack face shows up on those dice. So as the game goes on, you're taking damage, but if you rolled more than one, then the next person's going to take that damage. So even if it's not your turn, you're susceptible to taking damage. So you might want to rest at some point instead of keep pressing your luck. It's a fun interactive game. As I said, it's a module board. It's really fun and interesting to put those little weapons and tools on your Meeple because they'll give the Meeple special abilities. And based upon where they end up, they're going to affect that area. It's also a very simple game. There's nothing really too complicated. It does look epic and immense. I think the tiny part of this franchise is kind of starting to get pushed away. But nonetheless, Tiny Epic Quest is a play, a solid play, And I would almost say it's a buy if you happen to like a certain genre that I know Anthony's a big fan of. Woo!
1: I already bought it. You already bought it, so. I haven't even played it yet. Just like, oh yeah, I know what that looks like. Done. So
0: if you haven't seen the game, I don't want to spoil it too much for you or put the whole tiny epic in litigation, but it's basically Legend of Zelda. Yes.
1: Yes. Right. Yes, that is absolutely 100% what the cover <laughs> reminds you
0: of. Sure, hold on a second. Wait, Anthony, I'm getting a I'm getting a call here. Our lawyers are saying it's legally distinct nonetheless.
1: It is. Okay, good. That's good, good to know. Cuz I want to keep playing it. Yeah, yes. it's good.
0: <laughs> so it's a legally distinct Legend of Zelda kind of knockoff, but kind of in the best way possible and you know, good little game there.
1: Awesome. I love hearing reviews of games that I've owned for a while and just haven't gotten (laughs) to play yet. I'm like, man, i got to play this stupid game.
0: (laughs) It's definitely worth your table time. I I would definitely say that. All right, so that's everything for At The Table. Now on to our feature review. So this week, we are talking about, if you like The Castles of Burgundy, try these other games. Now, The Castles of Burgundy is a favorite of Anthony and I's and hopefully a favorite of yours as well if you haven't checked it out you're really missing out because this game does so many great things now this is a Stefan Feld game and basically what it incorporates is probably his two of his most popular mechanics one is dice rolling but not in a typical roll and move but as far as rolling dice in order to allow you to take certain actions on the board second is when you have those dice One of the actions in Castles of Burgundy is you'll actually be able to take different areas to build up your little section of your board. So your tableau is actually built up by selecting things based upon your dice. But you'll also be able to activate a number of different things. You'll be able to get money in the game. You'll be able to get majorities of certain colors, certain area control. It does a large number of different things that are really classic to Feld. So if you played any other Feld game, you most definitely have played on some level Castles, the Castles of Burgundy. Now, this is a point salad game. So you're going to get a lot of points by shipping materials, by picking up special abilities throughout the game, by picking special tiles. But the game has, while it doesn't have a specific expansion... It has a lot of small module promos and different boards that you can play with, so it can be asymmetrical, or it could have the same gameplay experience as far as the setup is concerned, but it is a classic Euro, it's something that everyone should play, and it's something worthy of, if you like these different mechanics, you should try out some of these other games. Now, what we want to bring you is other games along the lines of Castles of Burgundy that have... I would say, a little bit of a different feel, a little bit of a different spin, and definitely a little bit of a different weight. So we're going to go from light, medium, and heavy, I guess, mechanically versions of The Castles of Burgundy. So Anthony, why don't you start us off?
1: All right, so let's kick things off with the lighter games. Uh, The first one I wanted to talk about is Quadropolis. This is a game from Days of Wonder that was released a little over a year ago, back in 2016. And it is a city-building game in which you are using your architect to choose one of several tiles from a five by five grid and then moving it into your own four by four city grid. The basic rules of this game, I think, are a page and a half long. It's very, very simple. But the basic idea is you're trying to take these tiles and there are residential buildings, shops, public services, parks, harbors, factories. And each of these different types of buildings will score points in different ways, Um, The residential buildings will stack up. The shops score based on how many customers they have. The public services depend on the number of districts in the city that you have them. The parks depend on the number of residential buildings next to them. So placement matters. Set collection matters. Uh, Management of resources matters. You're not using dice necessarily, but because of the way that you're moving the architects around the board to block certain rows, uh, you definitely have to keep many of these different things in mind in, in terms of what's available, when it's available, and how to block other people. It kind of removes several of the mechanics you might know from Castles of Burgundy and still offers a fairly accessible uh, tile-laying, city-building type of game that I've had a lot of success bringing out for newer gamers. Not quite gateway, but very close. Very accessible, very easy to teach, and a whole lot of fun.
0: So on the light side, I want to talk about a game that utilizes the dice rolling in the Castles of Burgundy as far as being able to activate different spots on the board and that's Dice City. Now this is a very colorful game, bright and beautiful if you're definitely looking for something more on the gateway side as far as kind of tipping into the Castles of Burgundy area. You are placing buildings in order to be able to produce resources based upon your dice rolls. So once again, building up your tableau and then rolling dice to activate those spots on your tableau in order to slap bandits around, to be able to purchase trade ships, and overall to gain victory points that will lead you to victory. So if you're looking for something on the lighter weight version of Castles of Burgundy, definitely try out Dice City and its multiple expansions.
1: All right. So moving on to medium level games, so games that are kind of on the same weight level as Castles of Burgundy. Uh, One of my favorite games of all time is The Voyages of Marco Polo. Uh, This is a game that has been in and out of print for a little while now. I think it's back in print now. But the basic idea of the game is you have five dice that you will roll every round and you'll use the pips on these dice to take certain actions. You can use dice to take resources. You can get them to take camels. It'll help you move across the board. You can take money. You can take purchase orders and you can travel. And so you'll be moving your different meeples across the board to different cities, completing different orders, gathering resources, spending those resources. But everything is dice driven. So while you're not necessarily building a tableau like you would in the Castles of Burgundy, you are basically moving through the game based on the dice you roll. Now, the interesting thing about this game is it's got a lot of asymmetrical powers. Every person will have their own player board and their own special power that they can use that breaks the rules in some way. There is one player power that lets you ignore the dice rolls completely. So it's not as much like Castles of Burgundy, but the rest of them have a lot of interesting things, too. Bonus resources, extra movement, um, special powers for you know maybe multiple characters on the board. Very, very fun. Similar weight, similar length of game, but a lot more thematically integrated, I think. You have beautiful artwork, lots of interesting pieces. Uh, it, you know If you're looking at Castles and Burgundy and thinking, wow, that's not a very pretty game, uh, this game is a very pretty game. So uh, I think they're both worth playing, but this one is definitely more accessible and easier to get people into. So that's the Voyages of Marco Polo.
0: Role for the Galaxy. Now, this is the kind of revision, reimagining of Race for the Galaxy. But what you're going to do for Role for the Galaxy is you're actually going to be using dice to take your actions, very similar to Castles of Burgundy. So based upon your role, you'll be allowed to take certain actions in order to settle, develop, in order to produce and explore. And based upon that, you'll be able to take tiles that you'll be able to add your tableau build up resources trade in those resources for victory points and kind of grow your own little spot in the universe so very much like the castles of burgundy your little area kind of grows based upon your dice rolls and that area that grows changes up your dice rolls so roll for the galaxy an outstanding version of the castles of burgundy.
1: All right, so moving on to a not necessarily heavy heavy, but slightly heavier. There aren't a lot of super heavy games out there that use dice for action selection, but there are some that get up there in, in the uh, in the heavyweight area. And this is one that's actually been re-released recently, finally got reprinted by Asmodee, and that's Twa You're recreating several centuries of history in France, and so you'll be using different dice that basically represent your population in a hand of cards, and you're trying to do a number of things. So you're working cathedrals, you're fighting different misfortunes that your city might face, you are moving around the city and taking different actions, raising your family stature, doing a lot of different things within the three different primary domains of the city, the religion, military, and civil. So Stuff you recognize from pretty much any Euro. Um, the interesting thing about this game, of course, is that it's m- a little more interactive than maybe you're used to. So you can take dice from other people in creative ways, um, offering cash to kind of take their populace to use for your own efforts. So it's kind of like Castles and Burgundy. If you ramped up the interactivity, it's a little bit meaner little bit more complicated not a lot more complicated but definitely an interesting game and one that my game group and i've had a lot of fun playing in recent years all right
0: so for me on the heavy side we're looking at La Granja. now La Granja is interesting because it incorporates the dice rolling in the castles of burgundy and once again another interesting way so at the start of the round you're going to roll the dice and based upon the pips on that die it's going to be placed in a particular area So you're rolling a lot of dice in this game, at least to start off with, as far as showing what actions you could take. So you might have a number of fours in a certain slot that's going to allow you to get money. Or you're going to have a certain slot, let's say the number two slot, that's going to allow you to get a resource of your choice. So once again, just like the Castles of Burgundy, based upon your dice rolls, you are allowed to take certain actions that's going to allow you to get resources in order to pick up cards that'll do a number of different things, but also be able to play to this main tableau area. So if you do love the art and design of the Castles of Burgundy as far as that yellow and green and beige kind of goes on... You're going to find that here in La Granja. It has a very Castles of Burgundy look to it. So as the game goes on, you're going to open up your tableau even further by putting special abilities, by putting cards down. That's going to allow you to do different things. So think of Glory to Rome as far as the cards having multiple abilities to it. So Castles of Burgundy dice rolling and Glory to Rome card play allows for a really nice merging of a lot of different heavy mechanics in this game. So if you're looking for something on a little more of the complicated, you know, sometimes a little bit fiddly side, like is the perfect game for you. All right, so those are the games that you should definitely check out if you love The Castles of Burgundy, or even if you just like it enough that you want to try out different versions of these celebrated mechanics. Okay, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And you can roll the dice and see if you end up with a seat at our table.